and I. We had a busy summer, and it was just a blessing that kind of got dropped in our lap. It was really good. But part of it is actually exhortation to some of you. And the reason is I have the sneaking suspicion that some of you do not rest very well. And, uh, and, and I think, here, here's the thing. I, I actually think there's two groups of people in uh, uh, subcategories of those that don't rest well. Some of you, life is overwhelming, and it's busy, and, and y- you've got a lot going on, you know, and you know that, and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to stop. I don't know what to cut out. What do I cut out? What do I do? And it's just, it's, it's a bit much, and you know it, but you, don't, you just, you can't find a way out. And that's very real, and, and I, I, uh, I understand that. That is, that is a byproduct of really the world we live in today, and I, I, I wish I had a clear-cut answer for that. I don't, but I hope to address that a little bit today. But there's a second group, and who's the second group? And, and this is really maybe even more who I, I want to speak to this morning. Some of you, I think, actually feel guilty when you rest. You feel like, I should be doing something right now, and you find it almost impossible to enter into rest even if the time is there. And, and I want to say, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, kidding, not kidding. I, I mean, I, actually, I would say that is a lie of the enemy, and that the word Lord for you today is to be free from that. And my, my goal, my hope this morning is if there's anybody here that actually falls into that category that feels guilty and is unable to rest, that God would set you free from that this morning. My, my premise is this, and this goes beyond this room, obviously. Uh, the, my premise is that the fourth commandment is the most often broken in the American church today. Uh, our, t- our title today is Entering His Rest, but here's the, f- the fourth commandment, the text from Exodus. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. Uh, Time a little break here. I just want to mention, it's interesting to me, Scripture, whenever God pronounces blessing over his people, he always includes the foreigners residing in your town in that blessing. If they're here, the heart of God is that they would receive the same blessing as God's people. Side note. Um, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I believe that is the most broken commandment in the American church today. And I say I believe because I I don't have any research. There's no study. I don't have any statistics to back that up. Maybe somebody's done a study on it. I don't know. I haven't seen one. My assumption is based on this. It's, It's purely observation. 45 years of being a Christian and hanging out with Christians. And, 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 and in 45 years, I, I have known at different times throughout that time thousands and thousands of Christians, okay? Um, 
And in, among them, very few murderers. I, I don't, I just don't, didn't, haven't known a lot of murderers. Maybe one or two, I don't know. First commandment is put no other gods before me. And by and large, I mean, there's probably a few folks that from time to time have slipped and, you know, maybe elevated money to a level of worship above God. I don't know. But I don't think they've done that intentionally. And by and large, that, that even is a, a small group of people. Do not commit adultery. Ooh. Well, that one's a little higher. More people there than murderers. But I would still say, by and large, within the church, th that's a minority, that the vast majority of Christians have, have kept the commandments. Don't covet your neighbor's oxen. I don't know. Beamer. Oh, yeah, okay. So, yeah, you, I don't know. You might see your friend gets a new car. You go, that's a nice car. I like that car. But, I, you know, again, I, not, my point is this, that, that most of the commandments, most people generally endeavor to keep them. Uh, we, we do our best, we are conscious and aware, but, but really taking a legitimate Sabbath actually actually dedicating time to rest is just not a priority for the vast majority of people in our culture, including the church. I want to make three little observations from the text in Exodus before we, we have, that's not even, our, we're not even, this is still the intro. Just give me an O. But three observations here. The first is that Sabbath rest is patterned after God. We are to rest because God rested. So I will state the obvious here, okay? If God needs to rest, so do you, all right? I don't know what God's capacity is. Uh, you know, how much can God do? I don't know. That's beyond my understanding. But what I do know is Scripture says after six days of creation that he rested. That's what we know. And I would just say if God needs a rest, so do you. He's God and you're not. The second observation I would make from this text is that we are commanded to rest. This is, this is not presented as an option. This is not the ten good ideas. Okay? It's the ten commandments. God says rest. The third thing I would say is this, is that rest is holy. It's, it's, a, it's a holy activity presented to us by God. And, and I want to say this, and I'm not going to expand on this too much today. We might at a later date, but... I want to say this, that rest is more than doing nothing. Sabbath rest is coming into the presence of God in a, in a way in which we're communing with Him, and, it, and it's much broader and more vast than simply doing nothing. So with that as kind of a, a preface, uh, I want to pray, and then we'll actually get into our, our text for today. So Lord, I just pray you would... Uh, Cause your word to penetrate our hearts this morning and reveal your purpose and, and your provision for us this morning and that you would, in fact, uh, free us to be able to enter into the rest of God that you have not only provided for us but commanded us to enter into. your name we pray, amen. So our text this morning is actually in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, 
And it's a, it's, I'm going to read it through, uh, and you can read with me. It's a, it's a little bit of a long text and a little bit confusing. We'll read it, and then I'll, we'll come back and try to sort it out a little bit at the end. Therefore, <coughs> since the promise of entering his rest still stands, and that's one of the keys to the text is that first phrase, the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have the good news proclaimed to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not combine it with faith. Now we who have believed enter the rest just as God has said. So I declared on earth in my anger they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day God rested from his wor all his works and again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken uh, later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Okay, so... He references here a couple of times, they did not enter and they did not combine it with faith. So who are they? Who is he speaking of? He's referencing the Israelites as they approach the promised land. So they've been wandering around the desert for 40 years. You know the story, right? Um, I read somewhere once that if they had actually gone point A to point B, straight line, it would have taken 17 days to make that walk. But uh, they got distracted. They've been wandering around for 40 years. They finally made it. They're there. Yeehaw. We are at the, uh, at the entrance to the promised land. Moses picks 12 guys, one guy from each tribe, to go in and spy the land. They're going to go in and check it out, see what it looks like. So they go in. And they come back with a fairly mixed report. If you recall, 10 of the 12, the majority, were pretty negative. They were afraid. And they said, we can't go here. Let's take a look at it real quick. They gave Moses this account. <coughs> we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Joshua and Caleb brought back a sample of fruit from the land. But, and there's always a but, the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. And then Caleb silenced the people before Moses. He said, we should go and take possession of the land, for certainly we can do it. Joshua and Caleb are the holdouts. They're the only two that say, hey, let's do this. The other ten don't want to. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And here it comes. This is it right here. This is, this is the downfall of Western civilization and every other civilization on the planet. They spread among the Israelites a bad report. Oh, go back. Just underline that. 
They spread a bad report about the land they explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. It's an interesting comment at the end there. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Well, they didn't talk to them. So they're just projecting onto them what they feel. We felt tiny, and we're sure they must think we are. Ten guys, don't go. Can't do it. There's giants in the land. Two of them said, hey, but there's, there's fruit there. This is, this is what God said. They came back and they brought, uh, oh, you can't see it very well, but that's Joshua and Caleb with the bunch of grapes between them. The grapes are huge and the grapes are the size of cantaloupe and they got pomegranates and figs and it's beautiful. See, there, there is a rest available for us, but we have to believe that it's available. If we don't believe that it exists, we'll never enter into it. And when we look around us, it might not look like it. You might look around you and you go, you know what? There's giants in the land. But here, here, here's the thing. There's no lack of provision. Everything God promised was there. there there's no lack of provision. God promised that they would enter into this land that was flowing with milk and honey, and it was all there. When uh, 1996, when Donna and I moved here to plant this church, we were told there were giants in the land. We were told that the Northwest was a veritable church graveyard. Quote, they all go there to die. Um, churches in general, Oregon and Washington were at that time and continue to be today the two most unchurched states in the nation. Lowest percentage of people per capita go to church in Oregon and Washington than in any state, and that's perennial. It goes on. It was, that was true when we moved here. It's true today. The church in general has not done well here, and you don't realize that if you're not from here, because there's churches here, there's, there's, and there's big churches here. But <coughs> go to Orange County and then come back and talk to me. Orange County, there's a mega church on every corner. And I'm, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. Literally, the church that we grew up in, Anaheim, there are three mega churches within a mile on the same street. If you turn the corner go down Lake Street, there's a fourth. Mile and a half, four churches of over a thousand people. And that's North County. Go to South County, it's mo there's more. Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, Sa Santa Ana, Orange. There's, there's huge churches literally on every corner. So it's a different dynamic. The, the church has had a hard time here in the Northwest, specifically the vineyard. Vineyard church has not done well. When we planted here in the mid-90s, uh, in the vineyard movement, there was a church of over a 1,000 in every region, at least one in every region of the country except the Northwest, and that's still true today. Boise Huffers it by a little over a 1,000, but uh, other than that, there's, there's no church in the vineyard movement of any substantial size at all here in the Northwest. When again, and this is probably still true, maybe, was certainly true when we moved here for the 10 years, the decade after that, more in the vineyard movement, more churches were dying than being planted. I was actually handed a pathology report for vineyard churches in the Northwest on my way out the door. Thank you, God bless you, here you go. There's giants in the land, there's giants. They're big and they're bad and they'll eat you. 
So when we moved here, we picked for our original logo, some of you remember that picture of Joshua and Caleb with the grapes. I just thought, I don't know, it seems like there's some fruit there to me. Therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David as in the passage quoted, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. The point of that part of the passage is simply that David is speaking or writing a thousand years or so after Moses and Joshua and Caleb, and he's saying that rest is still available. And that is continual. It goes on, and it's conti- that rest is still available to us today. But here's the flip side. So is the warning. The warning still stands as well as the rest. Don't harden your hearts. Don't allow yourself to be sucked into that polar vortex of non-belief. And don't allow yourself to buy into that lie that says, I can't change anything. I can't get a hold of my life. It's out of control, and there's nothing I can do. Don't give in to that lie that says, I'm a bad person if I rest. There remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest. Also rest from their work as God did from his. Let us, therefore, make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. I want to say this. The Sabbath rest of God is a kingdom dynamic, meaning this, that there will be a day in the future in God's presence when we will enter into a place of perfect rest, a place of perfect peace, a place where we'll never be overwhelmed, we'll never be stressed out, we'll never be tired. But in the same way that we can have a measure of God's healing today, a measure of all the blessing and dynamic of the kingdom today, we can have a measure of that rest today. It is available to us. And that's the word of God. Take a quick look at the... uh, the Greek word for rest, katapausis is the word. The definition of the Greek word, which comes from the Old Testament word, means resting or rest, but also means dwelling or habitation. It's the place of God. So the rest is where God is. The same thing is true in the New Testament. Acts 7 is a reference to the verse that says, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where will my resting place be? The implication is my resting place is where I am. The rest of God is where he is. We talk about coming into God's presence in worship, but let me say this. When we come into God's presence, it's there that we can enter into his rest as, as well. There really, really is a kingdom dynamic, a now and a not yet presence or power in this thing that we can enter into it today. Look, here's the deal. I get it. I don't live in a bubble. We're all stressed out. We're all busy. We're all tired. I, I, <laughs> I think about moms sometimes, you know. We, Don and I were talking <laughs> about somebody had kids, and we're, we're kind of glad our kids are all grown up now. You know what I mean? It's just like uh, it's so, so busy. And I think of these moms. They go, I, don't, I, I, two, I can't even go to the bathroom. You know, two minutes. I got to pee. Mom, 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 mom. They're pounding on the door. I don't have a life. How many of you ever said this? I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about everything I got to do tomorrow. That's not a good thing. That's the reality of the world we live in today. I get it. I understand that. Here are, so I'll wrap up here with a few helpful household hints. 
How, how do I get from here to there? How do I move from that place of being overwhelmed with just life to entering into the rest of God? The first thing is you've got to get God's perspective. Get God's perspective. I want to just look at Ephesians for a second. Just this is a little reminder. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, past tense, in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us, past tense, in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us, past tense, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has already freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have, right now, today, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has already lavished on us. It's all there. It's all there. We have to be willing to embrace it and to accept it and to walk in it. We have to have God's perspective. A couple weeks ago, I talked during the worship series about David and Goliath, but the same principle holds true here today. Uh, it's just a different perspective. You know, Goliath challenged the Israelite army and tried to change the rules, you know, and everybody was intimidated and afraid. Oh, he's so big, he's so big. David goes, I'll take him on. And I think that probably, you know, I could picture the guy next to David going, hey, man, that's a big guy. And David goes, yeah, I know. That guy's so big, how can I possibly miss? I mean, his head's the size of Montana. I could hit that thing with my eyes closed. That's a different perspective. Joshua and Caleb came back. Ten guys said, we're afraid, we're afraid. There's giants in the land. Hell no, we won't go. Uh, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, wait a minute. There's big fruit over there. Here, here's the question. Whatever situation you're in today, whatever you're going through today, how overwhelming it is, and, and I, I am not going to make light of any situation that anybody's in, but just ask this question, how does God see it? What's God's perspective on my situation today? Not my perspective. What is God's perspective on my situation today? Now, I'll tell you something about God. Okay, here's the thing. God is big. We know that. God is powerful. We know that. God is also very, very smart. Did you know that? God is a smart guy. He knows a lot. God is smart, and God is old. He's very, very old. He's been around. Amen. And old people know some stuff, whether you like it or not. They do. Old people know some stuff. God's, it's a little bit like this guy. You can't see him, but that's the Allstate guy. We know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. God is not overwhelmed by your circumstances. Okay? He's just not. God isn't wringing his hands and saying, OMM. Oh, my me. Well, he wouldn't say, oh, my God, because he is, so he would say, oh, uh, oh my me, right? Uh, it's pretty funny. I thought of that myself. Uh, God looks at what's going on in our lives. He doesn't say, oh, my gosh, there's giants in the land. He says, you know what, I got this. I got this. I've been there before. I've seen this before. We were, uh, this was, a guy really spoke to us uh, in Hawaii. We were staying at a place that was uh, on the beach. Was, it was actually a, a turtle sanctuary. So there's all these just these sea turtles out there all the time. I just jump in, hang around with them. It was pretty fun. And the day we got there, we got there one day before Tropical Storm Olivia was supposed to hit. It was like, you know, the, uh, the hype is amazing. You know, root to do to do, darkness, darkness in the land. Uh, it was nothing, it had rained a little bit, but 
Brown is out walking on the beach, and there's this huge sea turtle. He comes up, the old guy, gigantic, biggest one we're seeing. He's just laying there on the beach. And, and uh, my wife, who is, you know, concerned about all God's creatures, she's praying that he'll be okay during the storm. It's so good of her. God bless the little turtles in the storm. God speaks to him. He goes, oh, he's weathered a lot of storms. He's been through this before. And that's how God sees what we're going through. Whatever you're going through today, it may be new to you and it may be big and overwhelming to you, but God says, no, you know, I've seen this before. We can get through this. Once you gain God's perspective, the second thing we can do then is we can begin to enter into God's peace. Scripture tells us the peace of God is greater than our ability to understand it. And I want to say that's what makes it God's peace. Because it's greater than our ability to understand. See, everyday average garden variety peace is when everything's going good. I'm at peace. Yeah, my kids are all well behaved. Boss comes in and goes, hey, here's a raise. Just have a raise. Whatever you want. You know, it only rains at night. That's the peace of God. Don't, don't, you ever, don't you ever think that'd be nice if it would just rain at night so everything would be green and clean, but you don't have to drive in it? I, I think that'd be fun. I always, I always think, why can't it just rain at night? But that's, the, that's, that's normal peace. When everything's good and we're at peace, that's just peace. God's peace is when everything is going sideways and you can still come into the presence of God and be where he is and go, it's going to be okay. That's the peace of God. And it's there in that place of peace where you really can then, I think, hear God's voice in a very real way. And, and here's the thing. I'll just let me, let me clarify. Uh, giants are noisy. They make a lot of noise. Did you know that? The giants in the land, they like attention. They jump up and down, and they go, Look at us! <laughs> That's what they do. They do. They, the giants make a lot of noise. And sometimes in the midst of all that noise, it's hard to hear the presence of God, hard to hear the voice of God. But when you have God's perspective and you come into that place of peace, then you're able to really hear God's voice speak into your situation. I almost left this verse out because it's almost so cliche, but I couldn't do it. Great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And it's there in that place of quiet and peace that God can really speak into our hearts. And so I just want to say this, uh, and you guys can come up if you want now. Uh, we talk about spiritual warfare a lot. And there's a reality that we want to be active, we want to move, we want to fight the battle, we want to be engaged. And there's a, there's a balance between warfare and rest, right? You can't, you, you, you can't do one without the other. But I want to say this. I, I want to say this. Uh, hear me on this. Rest, Sabbath rest in the presence of God is warfare. Okay? It is. Look, nothing pisses the giants off more than when they jump up and down and beat their chest and say, look at us, look at us, and the people of God say, hey, I'm sorry, I don't have time. I'm in the presence of God right now. I'm in a place of peace with my God, so... 
it, it, it is warfare to re, re, re enter into that Sabbath rest of God. And so I just want to, as, as we close, uh, and Kyle, hit the lights for me, buddy, since you're standing there. Make yourself useful. <laughs> Kyle's always useful. Uh, I'm going to pray for you, and then we'll, we'll close with a song of worship. Father, I just uh, ask that you would help your people today to enter into the rest of God, that you would break free any chains, any bondage, anything that holds us back from being able to enter into your rest this morning, that you would set people free who feel guilty when they rest and don't do anything, that you would grant us the grace to find a place of peace in your presence and to gain your perspective on our circumstances, to understand that you've been there before and that you hold all things in the palm of your hand, that you're not going to let your people perish, that you provided for us, you've given us everything we need, Lord God, and help us today to just come to that place where we can enter into the <laughs>